Welcome to Libraries Out Loud, a podcast series produced by the University of Buffalo Libraries. I'm your host, CJ Keough, Public Services Specialist at Silverman Library on UB's North Campus. In each episode of Libraries Out Loud, we'll explore connections between the UB Libraries and the research, learning, teaching, and creative activities of our faculty, students, and staff. In this episode of Libraries Out Loud, Denise Wolf, the Library's Communications Outreach Officer, will speak with Bill Offhouse, the Library's Reference Archivist, about the 100th anniversary of Samuel Capon's inauguration as UB's first full-time chancellor. Please enjoy this enlightening discussion of one of the most impactful people in the history of UB. episode of Libraries Out Loud. I'm Denise Wolf, Communications and Outreach Officer for the University Libraries, and I'd like to welcome Bill Offhouse, Reference Archivist in the University Archives. Bill joined the University Libraries nearly 20 years ago, and he is the go-to person anytime information is needed about UB's history. That includes its faculty, administrators, buildings, and past events at the University. Hi, Bill. Hi, Denise. Bill, we had an interesting conversation a short while ago about research you were doing about Samuel P. Capon. In fact, we're sitting in Capon Hall right now, and I thought it would be a great way to start if you could tell us a little bit about who was Samuel Capon. Sure. Samuel Capon was the first full-time chancellor of the University of Buffalo. He is also the first chancellor of the university who is an educator. Before Samuel Capon, the chancellors were part-time and they were unpaid, so far as I know. They were also uni they were also lawyers and local businessmen, civic leaders. Oh, and a quick note too on some terminology that we'll be using. The chancellor was the title for the chief administrative officer for the university before 1962. When we joined SUNY in 1962, that title became president. So, in in essence, Capon was the first full-time president of the university. Oh, I see. Okay. So, going back to, to what uh, you said earlier about him being the first full-time chancellor, why did the university want to hire a full-time chancellor, and why was Capon the person they pursued? The university wanted to hire a full-time chancellor because they were looking for someone who could concentrate his all of his time and effort into the administration of the university. Starting in the early 1900s, the university wanted to move away from this idea of being only four semi-independent professional schools, the schools of medicine, pharmacy, dentistry, and law. They wanted UB to grow into something more, to be more of a modern university. So they took some steps to make this uh, more of a reality. They purchased the South Campus in 1909 so that UB would have a centralized campus. Until Up until then, they had four scattered buildings in, through downtown Buffalo. Um, the other thing, one of the other things that they did was they raised the money for the establishment of the College of Arts and Sciences. This was something that was required by the American Medical Association so that um, our School of Medicine could retain its accreditation. Also in 1920, they carried out the successful endowment campaign, which raised $5 million. That's approximately $75 million in today's money. They did that with about 24,000 donations, which is considered grass grassroots for the time. And they 
accomplish this in 10 days. That's amazing. So what they wanted to do next was, after those accomplishments, they wanted to find that full-time chancellor, that full-time um, administrator for the university. Okay. And, and, um, and why Capon? What did they like about him? Sure. So um, Capon wasn't the first person that they went to, but he was high on their list of people. Um, Capon was a educational specialist in the uh, federal government. He was somebody who had a strong educational background. He came from um, Massachusetts, where he attended Tufts University. His father was longtime president of Tufts University. Um, he taught ma modern languages at um, Clark, yeah, Clark University. And um, in 1914, left the university there to become an educational specialist with the federal government. Essentially what he did was he provided um, critical evaluations of other universities and colleges throughout the United States and helped them solve problems, meet goals, um, in, in that type of thing. And what this provided was uh, a deep education for Capon on the trends in higher education, the problems that universities and colleges were facing in, in higher education, and also um, how to solve those problems. I'd like to share a quote by Capon about accepting the position at UB. He had said, quote, my friends advised me not to accept the offer, but to me it was the most interesting prospect for an administrative post in the United States. The possibilities of this institution in a territory of one million people fascinated me, and I still find it fascinating, end quote. So what would you say was the deciding factor in his decision to come to UB? That's a great question, um, because originally the, the, the university council, which was basically a board of trustees for the university, when they started their search for the chancellor, he, um, like I said, Capon was high on their list. Um, but a lot of the people who advised the university council told them not to bother with Samuel Capon. He had already turned down two other universities' offers for their presidencies. Um, so people thought that he was committed to his work with the federal government, his work in higher education. Um, but they decided to ask him anyways. Um, when they did, things that attracted Capon to UB were those things that we already mentioned, the purchase of the South Campus, the um, establishment of the College of Arts and Sciences, and the successful endowment campaign, especially the, the, the endowment campaign because that showed community support. Um, Capon liked the idea that the university didn't have any deep-seated traditions, um, things that might get in the way of educational experimentation um, and, and other things that might hinder progress. So Capon had three conditions for accepting the position when it was offered by the UB Council. He wanted to make sure that the university would um, ensure complete academic freedom for UB's faculty and students. That means that they could study anything they wanted um, without interference by the university um, and that the university would defend the faculty and students against outside interference as well. Um, Capon wanted to um, 
avoid fundraising. He wanted to make sure that he was um, his all of his efforts could be focused on the administration of the university. Um, and he also wanted to continue his um, studies in the uh, field of higher education. Um, also, I, I just read about a fourth recently where he said that he wanted to make sure that his term in office would be long enough or open-ended so that he could um, enact programs and um, things of that nature and do it with deliberate thought that he wouldn't have to hurry, that it could take its time and progress throughout his time as chancellor. All right, so 100 years ago, Samuel Capon just, you know, made the decision. He decided to come to UB. Tell me about the inauguration. Yeah, the inauguration celebration took place over two days um, in October. October 27th, 1922, the um, university dedicated Foster Hall, which was the university's first building on the South Campus, the first university-built building on the South Campus. We renovated a number of almshouse buildings over the years, but Foster was UB's first new build. Um, so that was part of the celebration. The other part took place the next day, um, Samuel Capon's actual inauguration ceremony. Um, there's great pictures of um, Capon leading the academic procession down Edward Street to Main Street and then into the Tech Theater, which is where the university held the inauguration um, because we didn't have a, an auditorium big enough to hold everybody. Um, and then the third thing that happened was the um, dedication of Rotary Field, which was um, UB's sports uh, field on the South Campus. So, again, th this sounds like such a grand event, you know, walking down the streets of Buffalo and, you know, in, into the te into Tech Theater. Absolutely. Um, so, he came to UB, and obviously he made a lot of changes or... You know, there were not a lot of initiatives that came about because of him. How, how would you say he transformed UB? Sure. So it was Capon's administrative practices, his educational philosophy, and in some ways his actions, though he didn't like to take um, credit for UB's growth and accomplishments over the term of his chancellorship. Um, so... One of the things that Capon really believed in was sane but courageous um, experimentation in education. He would um, enact different programs or would support different programs um, once he was convinced that they would um, be successful or be uh, once he was convinced of their merit. Um, an example of this is the evening session for the university. This was UB's um, division of for the School of Continuing Education, um, basically night school for adults. This is a way for people to come back to the university or come to the university after they were already in the workforce and get a college degree. Um, this took place, he established this in 1923 and headquartered it downtown um, in Townsend Hall, which was a building that UB owned on Niagara Square at the time. Um, so he thought that that was the perfect location for um, citizens of, this, of the city to be able to access this education. Um, out of the evening session, um, because the evening session offered school uh, or classes in management, out of the evening session, 
um, the School of Management was born. So that was, um, those were two of many schools that the, were established during um, Capon's administration. He had the thought um, and wanted the practice that you be, be focused on the needs of the city. So the continuing education school, the school of management, the school of nursing, which started in 1940, and other schools um, all kind of exhibit that focus on the needs of the city or what Capon or what the university conceived to be the needs of the city. Um, other programs that he instituted that were kind of on, um, on this experimentation vein are the honors program, which provided um, self-guided education or study for um, first upper-class students and then all students at the university. Um, then there was also the Bureau of Personnel Research that provided guidance for students, but also then provided um, job placement for students once they graduated. Very forward thinking. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking for that time uh, in the, you know, Absolutely. 1920s, 1930s. Absolutely. So this was very experimental, and these things were, were fairly new as far as um, higher education and colleges went at the time. So I want to go back to when we spoke a few days ago about Samuel Capon, Bill, sure. and you had said that he was open to other people's ideas for change at the university. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm wondering, do you have one example that kind of comes to mind that, that you Sure. Something that exemplifies this that he supported, but I'm, I'm not sure if he actually was the person who initiated this change. It was more than likely um, in the school itself. So the School of Dentistry, um, early in Capon's tenure as chancellor, wanted to upgrade or update their curriculum. In addition to two years of dental training and education, they wanted to add two years of basic medical education, and then also hospital training. Initially, this was somewhat of an unpopular program, and a lot of prospective students decided to go to school elsewhere. Um, the admissions numbers for the School of Dentistry dropped for the next few years. But over time, the trend reversed, especially as more universities saw this model and saw the merits of this model. Um, it, enrollment increased to the point by about 1931, the School of Dentistry started turn, had to, having to turn away prospective students. So in a lot of ways, um, Capon's ideas about experimentation, his um, sane and rational experimentation, allowed for a dip in enrollment for, you know, for the, for the program to take off and take root. It wasn't an immediate, there's a drop in enrollment, you have to drop the program. So he gave them breathing room, exactly. allowing for setbacks, and then they could continue to move forward. Exactly. So, Bill, how, how many years was Capon Chancellor at the university? He was here for 28 years, from 1922 
1950. He actually stayed on two extra years. The um, UB Council asked him to stay on for two more years past the mandatory retirement age of 70. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you that because um, you had mentioned when he was making the decision to come here, he wanted it to be open-ended, you know, so right. So he would have time. It know, certainly to, was. To make some of these changes or... Um, or to accomplish some of his goals. Absolutely. And, you know, a upon his retirement, he would say that he and his wife never regretted coming here. Um, and it was his daughter who said that UB was the love of his life. Oh, that's great. So I've seen photographs of Capen. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been up in special collections, and there's a you know wonderful portrait but he always looks so grim and stern. Um, in, in all the research that you've done, what have you learned about the type of person that he was? Sure, you know, and it makes sense that, that he, you know, sometimes looks more you know, formal or in austere. Some mm -hmm. people might have mm -hmm. con you considered him um, because he was conscious of the fact that, you know, most university presidents are probably conscious of the fact that their actions in their demeanor reflects directly on the university. So his public face was very different from his private face. Um, in, in private, he was known to have an infectious and subtle sense of humor. He loved to tell funny stories where he was the butt of the joke um, and saw the humorous in, in everyday life. Um, but on, on, you know, he was also very courteous he was considerate. Um, he was very sensitive of the needs and the, the, uh, of other people. Um, he would often bring people into his office to give them a, or to provide advice when asked. Um, he would never give them or provide a solution, but he would hear people out. He would talk to them through, you know, talk through the different possibilities and the potentials, um, outcomes of the decisions that they might make. Um, he didn't like to talk to people in the hallway about business, but he would, like I said, bring people into his office and talk over tea. Um, people who worked with him at the time in his office thought he spent a little bit too much time um, providing advice in, in chatting with people at times, but um, that was um, who he was. So from everything we've talked about, it's you know, it, it really does seem that he made a mark on the university. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm wondering, what would you say his legacy is? His legacy, in a lot of ways, is the university itself. He, again, like I had said before, his administrative policies, his, his educational philosophies, provided a, a, an environment that would foster growth and foster experimentation. The university saw exponential growth during his time. The number of students when he came here in 1922 was somewhere around 1,800. And by the time he left, it was about 13,000. Though I have to say, a good chunk of that number could be attributed to the GI Bill post-World War II. Around 1940, before the war, there are about 4,000 students here, but that's still a vast, shows vast growth. Um, there were, I think, 35, 
full-time professors when he started in 1922, and by the time he retired, there were some time, somewhere in, in the neighborhood of 250. And Capon himself went out and recruited these people for in his early years at the university. He would visit the colleges and universities and recruit new faculty from their young faculty or their new graduates. And most of them came to UB and even stayed at UB because of our policy of academic freedom. Those policies that allowed a freedom in their research were very attractive to many um, of those faculty members that came to UB. So I had said earlier that we're sitting in Capon Hall. Mm -hmm. So the university has honored him that way. They've, they've named this building after him. Are there any other things that come to mind, ways in which either UB or the community has honored Samuel Capon? Sure. Um, during his lifetime, back in the 1930s, um, the city named Capon Boulevard after Samuel Capon. He was unaware of it at the time, um, but thought it was a very attractive street once it was um, made known to him. He went down and took a look. Um, the you know current Capon Hall, like you say, in addition to the street near the South Campus, there's also the Capon Chair in American History that was established when he retired in 1950, um, and also the Capon Garden Walk, which still occurs every year. So I feel like we've covered a lot about Samuel Capon, his time at the university, and some of the um, initiatives that he started that, that have been lasting and, and, and made a mark on the university. But I know we haven't covered everything. Um, if listeners would like to learn more about Samuel Capon or, or anything you've mentioned today, um, what's the best way to contact you? Sure, they can contact the University Archives um, from our website. Um, in our email is lib-archives at buffalo.edu. They can reach out to me or any of my colleagues and we can point them towards resources that we have um, on Samuel Capon and on this era of the university history. Um, I've also created a research guide for Samuel Capon and his time here. Um, that can be found in the university libraries um, under research help, I believe, on the um, library's homepage and also in research guides from the university archives website. Well, thank you, Bill, and thanks for taking the time to speak with me today. Thanks, Denise. This was fun. We hope you enjoyed this informative edition of Libraries Out Loud. We would like to thank Denise and Bill for bringing to light Samuel Capon and his accomplishments as the first full-time chancellor of UB, and how his early decisions set the University at Buffalo up to become one of the flagship institutions of the SUNY system. Until next time, thank you for listening to Libraries Out Loud.